0: Well, goodness, after all that rough praying, my shirt's hanging out, and my pants are falling down. (laughs) Right, so we're we're doing a message series over the summer called Simply. We are looking at some of the basic foundational stones of the Christian faith, uh, and we're going to try to explain them as simply as possible without using a lot of you know, um, real life illustrations or, you know, very often on a Sunday morning we would take a passage from the Bible and talk about how to apply it in our life. But one of the things that kind of bothers me uh, as a pastor is that Lots of Christians know how to take a Bible passage and apply it to their life, but when you ask them what they believe, they've got like, woo, ideas, you know? And you think, we need to really make sure that our foundation is strong, because if it's not, we might be building good stuff upon it, but Jesus said, if the foundation is of sand, the house will fall. So we've been looking at these simple subjects. We looked at simply Jesus, who Jesus is what Jesus did, and what Jesus expects of us. We look to our uh, simply identity, our new identity in Christ. You are beloved, you are chosen, you're a child of God, you're more than a conqueror. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. No, I'm, I'm just a little victim and I need everybody to look. You've been made an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I'm glad somebody said yes to that. The rest of you are confused about me. I'm not sure. I don't feel like it. Like, I don't feel like it as well. I'm going to tell you the truth. I woke up this morning and didn't feel like coming to church. But thankfully, when I was growing up, it was a generation where we didn't pander to everyone's feelings. We told people to get their act together and get on with life. So I got up and had a shower and drank a lot of caffeine, and came to church, and you want to know something? I'm glad to be in the house of the Lord. Like a few hours ago, I didn't feel like it, but sometimes you have to tell your feelings how to feel. And so once you know who you are in Christ, it changes your feelings. Then we looked at simply spirit and the importance of receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit produces fruit and gifts in our life. Last week, Darian taught us about grace, simply grace, that everything God does for us is a free gift and we cannot earn it. Now today, we're going to look at simply kingdom. We're going to look at what the kingdom of God is. And I just want to show you a few verses first to show you just how important this is. Put our first first verse up. This is Mark chapter one. This is Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry. What's the first thing that Jesus wants to tell people? Look at this. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. You know, very often if you say to a Christian, what's the good news, what's the gospel? Very often we will limit it to, Jesus died for our sins and rose again, and if we believe in him, we shall be saved. But it's a lot more than that. The gospel according to this is not just the gospel of personal salvation, it's the gospel of the kingdom. Let's read on, next verse. This is Jesus now chapters later, About two and a half years later, he's still talking about the kingdom, and he's talking to his apostles, and he's telling them what they will need to do, and he says, the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear about it. Then finally, the end will come. Then let's look again. The next one, Acts chapter 1 verse 3 after Jesus has risen from the dead and he appears to his disciples, my goodness, he's still going on about the same topic. I mean, Jesus was like a one-topic preacher, you know? still going on about it. During the 40 days after his resurrection, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, actually alive, and proved to them in many ways that it was really himself um, that they were seeing. And on those occasions, he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Are we getting a little hint here that to Jesus, the kingdom of God is an important thing? Well, what about the disciples? After Jesus went back to heaven, what did they do? Let's read on. Acts chapter 8. Um, it says this, the believers were scattered everywhere, who were scattered everywhere preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Now the people believed Philip's message of the good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And as a result, many of them were baptized. The disciples took Jesus at his word When they went somewhere and preached the gospel, what did they talk about? The kingdom of God. Yes, and the name of Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And the only way to enter the kingdom of God is through the name of Jesus. What about when you get to the very end of the book of Acts? Let's go on to the next one. Acts 28, very last chapter. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed everyone who visited them. Told them boldly about the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one tried to stop him. So obviously, we see there from G- the beginning of Jesus' ministry, all the way through Jesus' ministry, to the end of Jesus' ministry, to after Jesus' resurrection, to the beginning of the church, to the gospel going to the Samaritans, the gospel going to the Gentiles, all the way to the end of the book of Acts. What is the important message? The kingdom of God. But I'd bet if we did a survey right now and asked you all what the kingdom of God was, we're going to get about 40 different answers, right? So what is the kingdom of God? What is it? Let's have a look. I've got some things here to put up. The kingdom of God is wherever God is king. Duh, <laughs> right? I mean, it's really simple, isn't it? You know, I come from the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. That's its full title, by the way. Everybody just says the UK, but the full title is the United Kingdom of Great Britain, which is three countries, and Northern Ireland, which is another country, but not Southern Ireland, because Southern Ireland is a republic. So the queen is not the monarch of Southern Ireland, but she's a monarch of Northern Ireland and of the United Kingdom. Um, So a kingdom... The, the United Kingdom is where the queen or the royal family, the queen is queen or the king when we have a king as king. The queen isn't the queen of other countries that have a different, for instance, some countries have another monarch. Other countries are republican. They don't have a monarch at all. And the queen is not the queen of those countries. So the kingdom of God is wherever God is king. If God is not king in your life, the kingdom of God is not in your life. If God is king in your life, the kingdom of God is within you. So there there is a there's a, a modern English translation of the New Testament. It's called the Good As New Translation. It's a kind of paraphrase. And this is how no, no, go back. You need to go back. It's this is how they translate the word kingdom of God. Instead of saying the kingdom of God, they will say, they translate it this way, God's new world, which is emerging amongst us and his new way of living in that world. Church, when you put your faith in Christ, you stepped into God's new world, God's kingdom. And God's kingdom is emerging more and more amongst us. In the midst of this world, God's new world is emerging. Every time people come to faith in Christ, every time families or communities or churches or cities or nations begin to live the way God would want them to live, the kingdom of God is emerging in our midst. And there's a whole new way of living in that kingdom. It's living under God's rule. The kingdom of God is wherever God is king. It is God's new world which is emerging amongst us and his new way of living inside that world. Here's here's some more of an explanation. The next slide says this. The kingdom of God is when individuals, churches, businesses, commerce, education, government is carried out under kingdom principles, the way God would want things to be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. When God is honored, when people are treated justly, and when society flourishes under God's principles. That is the kingdom of God. So I wanted I want to just tell you: the kingdom of God, this talk about the kingdom of God doesn't just start when Jesus comes in the scene, started a way back in the Old Testament. And one of the best passages to understand it is from the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Okay, so the king of Babylon, a pagan, has a dream that troubles him. And he can't get an interpretation for it. But God has given Daniel the gift of interpreting dreams. And Daniel interprets his dream. And this is what his dream was. We have an image here to show you. He said he had a dream of a huge statue of a man. Its head was made of gold, its chest and arms were made of bronze, its, it, sorry, silver, its waist was made of bronze, and its legs were made of iron. When you got down to the feet, the iron was a mixture of iron and clay, and so it didn't really adhere together properly. Then in this dream, He saw a small pebble, a little stone, and it came and it hit that statue in the foot. And the statue collapsed and broke into powder. And then a strong wind came and it blew all the powder away. And then this little stone grew bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until it filled the whole earth. And Daniel says, I know the interpretation of that dream. It is God that has given you this dream. And here's the interpretation. This statue with four different types of metal symbolize four kingdoms, four empires, one that will come after another. And Daniel says to the king of Babylon, you are the head of gold. You are the ruler of the Babylonian empire. But your empire will come to an end. And after that, there will come another empire, a silver empire. And that's the arms and the chest. And just like your torso has two arms, the empire that will come after you will have two arms to it. It will be the Persians and the Medes. And they will join together to form a new empire, the Medo-Persian Empire. And they will defeat the Babylonian Empire. They'll come next. Then after that, the waste of bronze is another empire. Bronze is a metal that was used for forging weapons of war and for crushing opponents. And this other empire, this bronze empire, it will come from Greece. It will be ruled over by a ruler, Alexander the Great. And he will come to all of these areas with his bronze weapons and he will crush you all. And another empire, that empire will take place. Then another empire will come after the Greek empire this one with two legs. This will be the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire always had two legs. It had the Eastern Empire and the Western Empire. Uh, One of them based in Rome and the other one based in Constantinople eventually. And so those were the two legs of the Roman Empire. And Rome was known for its iron weaponry. It was known as a kingdom of iron. And so these legs were made of iron. And he said, this empire will come, this Roman Empire, and it will defeat all the other ones. Now, there were 10 main Caesars under the Roman Empire, which is the 10 toes and the statue. Now, what the Roman Empire tried to do was this. The Roman Empire was the first experiment in creating a multicultural society And yet, at the same time, having an official, state-sanctioned, politically correct belief that everyone must agree to. So that's what they tried to do. So they had all these different ethnic groups, all these different religions, everybody under the one empire, and that was fine. Yeah, you can all be different groups. You can all be, uh, that's all great. As long as you all say the same thing about this and about this and about this and about this well, guess who wouldn't do it? Christians. You know why? Because we have another king, King Jesus. And when it comes to obeying Caesar or Jesus, our king's Jesus. And so, um, so when Christians were were, were blamed for everything that went wrong in the Roman Empire and were forbidden to worship and all of that kind of stuff, they were persecuted because they had another king. And so the Roman Empire tried and it wasn't just Christians but other groups wouldn't mix as well. And so just like iron and clay don't mix they were trying to get something together this society together but it was crumbling. Now they had the ten toes or the ten Caesars and Daniel says this, in the days of those kings after the Babylonian empire will come the Medo-Persian empire, then the Greek empire then the Roman Empire, and in the days of those kings, in the days of the Roman Caesar, God himself will set up his own kingdom. In the days of the Roman Empire, a tiny little baby was born in Bethlehem, who was the king of kings and the lord of lords. And although that kingdom started like a little stone, it was the gospel of the kingdom that eventually overthrew the Roman Empire. And eventually the Caesars, who were throwing Christians to the lions, were the very ones that legalized Christianity and said the Christians, there's there's too many of them now, let's just see, they're, they're free. And so although this kingdom started like a little stone, it was going to grow and grow and grow, and for 2,000 years, God's kingdom has been growing and will continue to grow until the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The kingdom of God was prophesied in the Old Testament to arrive during the Roman Empire and to start small, but to grow and eventually fill the whole world. And that is exactly what happened. Happened. and so i want us to just have a look at some things some points here about the kingdom of god what is what does the bible say about the kingdom of god well first of all the bible tells us that sin prevents us from entering the kingdom of god i'll show you these passages in a moment sin is what prevents us from entering but that doesn't mean we can't enter you can enter If you are born again, you can enter the kingdom of God, Jesus said. We'll look at that in a moment. So sin stops us from entering, but a spiritual rebirth enables us to enter. And once we enter the kingdom of God, it is now within us, growing. And it's in our midst, it's all around us, it's in the things we do, at work and at home and everywhere else. The kingdom of God should grow and influence every part of our lives it doesn't happen instantly it takes time it's like you put yeast into dough and you have to wait for the yeast to work its way through all the dough and um, the kingdom of god should spread from us to the world around us eventually the whole earth will be under god's kingdom rule and then jesus returns and hands the kingdom Back to the Father again. Let me show you this. Let's just go through some of these passages of Scripture. Let's put them up one at a time. 1 Corinthians 6 9 to, le- to 11. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Um, don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or who commit adultery, or who practice prostitution or homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Sin stops us entering the kingdom of God. I want you to know something. I've actually been the lead pastor here for almost 11 years. And in 11 years, This is only the second time that I have ever read this passage of Scripture publicly. Last time I did, people left the church and were mad at me as if I wrote it. Just so you know, I never wrote this, okay? (laughs) I'm just reading it, right? And anyway, instead of getting mad, we should be convicted and think, my goodness, if sin stops me entering the kingdom, we're all screwed. But look at the bottom. Oh, sorry, next one. Go to the next one. Next slide. Same verse. He says, and some of you were once like that. We were all sinners. We were all lost. We were all in trouble. But look what happened. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Isn't it great to know that even though sin stops us entering the kingdom and we're all sinners, there's a way to be washed clean? Isn't that good news, church? Let's look at the next verse. Here's what it says. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can produce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Not it's a good idea, not it's quite nice, it may improve your lifestyle somewhat, none of that. No, you must be born again if you want to enter the kingdom of God. Sin stops us entering, a spiritual rebirth through faith in Christ gets us into the kingdom. Next verse says this, one day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs you won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already within you and amongst you. You know, some English translations just say within you, and some say among you. The word that is used means both. We'll see this again in a little while. Jesus, you know, in fact, the, the born again one, see, was the one. Remember when Jesus said you must be born again Some English translations say you must be born from above because the word means both. Sometimes Jesus used words that had a full meaning. I must be born again, and this birth must come from above. The kingdom of God is both within me and it's within the crowd of people here. It's amongst us. Okay, next verse. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom... And does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. Do you see how Jesus is saying, like, this is really important. This kingdom stuff. That Christ is your king. He rules in your life. If someone is your king, you obey their orders. Let's read on. Next verse. There's a lot in Matthew 13. He told another parable, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. By the way, the field in Jesus' parables, fields mean two things. And sometimes he says the field is the world. And sometimes he says the field is the heart of man. The kingdom of God is like a seed that can be planted in our heart. And when we go out and preach the gospel, it's a seed being planted in the field of the world. But whether it's in the individual or whether it's on the whole planet, it starts off small like a little mustard seed does. But it grows and grows and grows. God should be ruling in your life more this year than he was last year. The kingdom should be growing Though it's the smallest of all the seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest garden plants and becomes a tree so that birds come and perch in its branches. You know, if God is really moving in our church, if He is ruling, if His kingdom is coming and His will is being done here in our church as it is in heaven, then do you know what? We should become a fruit-bearing tree and see all the people out there who are lost. Why does a bird come and land on a branch of a tree? because it's got nowhere to it's got nowhere to settle it is looking to make a nest and settle down I want to tell you the world is full of people who are lost and don't know where they're going and if they can find a fruitful tree they will come and they will make a nest here and they will settle down here and they will find out about Jesus here and that's why it's important for individuals and churches to be bearing fruit not only for our own benefit but so that we become attracted to those who need to find a place to make their home next verse says this he told them still another parable the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all the dough starts off small. You go into a country, the only religion they know is paganism, or maybe it's a communist country, and all they know is atheism. And you go in there, and you tell people about Jesus, and it might look like not much is happening, but you're sowing seeds, and some of those seeds will take root, and they'll begin to grow. And you've got this big communist country or pagan country and you've got this tiny little group of christians in it and then you go away for 20 years and you come back and you find out they're everywhere you know that's what happened um, decades ago when uh, communists took over ethiopia and shut down all the churches and kicked out all the missionaries see when the communist government fell and the missionaries were allowed to come back in they discovered there had been a revival in their absence You cannot stop the work of the kingdom. It's like yeast, it spreads everywhere. Next verse, it says this, the kingdom of heaven, by the way, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are the same thing. In Matthew's gospel, he says kingdom of heaven because his gospel was written to Jewish people and Jewish people didn't like to use the word God. Instead of saying God bless you, they would say heaven bless you but they mean God bless you. So he wrote kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. It's the same thing. So it is like treasure hidden in a field. When a person found found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he sold everything he had to buy the field. You know, you might have a lot of things in your life, but when you hear about God's kingdom and when you understand it and when you realize how amazing it is, you would give up everything you have just to have that one treasure. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. He found one at great value. He went away and sold everything he had to buy that one pearl. I know I'm, I am mainly reading passages of scripture today and not telling you stories and all of that, but that's because I, re- I have got one shot at this kingdom message, okay? And I want you to get it. Let's read the next verse. It says this, And once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore and they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets but threw the bad ones away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, the kingdom of God catches everybody. You know how the birds come and make nests? So, You know, there can be people that come to church for years and never give their life to Christ. They just kind of like the atmosphere or something like that. The kingdom of God is like a net that sweeps everybody up. But hey, one day there's going to be a separation between the sheep and the goats, between the tares and the wheat, between the bad fish and the good fish, So it's not enough to just be living your life in the vicinity of God's kingdom. Make sure that kingdom is ruling and reigning in your heart and life too. Next verse says this, Isaiah, you know this one, we read it every Christmas, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government, the kingdom, will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now look at this. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. From the moment Jesus came, into this world, the kingdom of God has been increasing, 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 and will continue to increase. There will be no end to the increase. Well, what happens when everybody on planet earth has become a Christian? We'll go to some other planet and evangelize them. Of the increase, there will be no end. And so, next verse says this, you Kingdom, come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven you see god 's kingdom heaven isn 't god 's kingdom, but it 's part of it. God rules in heaven, and everything that happens in heaven is His will. There is no sickness, there is no death, there is no mourning, there are no tears, all the former stuff has passed away, and our job is to pray and to act and to bring the culture of heaven. Into planet Earth. Next one. This might be my last one. Oh, this one. Then the king will say to those on his right Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. I know for sure I've got another one, maybe even more than one. Go to the next one. This is the one I was looking for. Okay, look at this. Here is the order of events. Christ is the first of those who rise from the dead. When he comes back, those who belong to him will be raised. Then the end will come. After Christ destroys all rule, authority, and power, then he will hand the kingdom to God the Father, and then God will be all in all. Look, a little baby's born, he grows into a man, he spreads the good news of the kingdom. He dies on the cross bearing our sins so that we can enter the kingdom and rises from the dead conquering death. He ascends and returns to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the king of the kingdom of God. He won't be king in the future. He's king now. He's seated on the right hand of the Father right now, reigning over all things right now, and he will stay there, ruling over his church, ruling over his people, and pushing all things till the kingdom advances and continues to grow, and that then one day he will return, the last enemy death will be destroyed, and then he hands the kingdom to the Father. There are no more enemies to conquer. There's no more false ideologies to be defeated. There's nobody rebelling in their hearts against God. Now he hands the kingdom back to the Father, and God is all in all. Do you see how the kingdom grows and grows and grows and grows until it fills all things? And the same in your heart and in your life, I want to show you one last verse and then we're gonna pray. It's from Revelation. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud shouts in heaven, the kingdoms of this world have now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. Remember the dream in the book of Daniel? Remember the four empires that came and went? Think of all the other empires that have come and went. Napoleon's French Empire. It's gone. The British Empire. Do you know that it was so big that the sun never set on the British Empire? It doesn't exist anymore either. Every politician, every monarch, every kingdom, every dictator that has ever arisen has fallen. And Jesus has been reigning for 2,000 years, watching them all come and them all go, and He shall reign forever and ever. And all God's people said, come on, let's stand together. We are going to pray the Lord's Prayer, and I hope we're going to pray it with a little bit more understanding. I think we've got it to put up on the screen. We're going to pray it together. Are you ready, church? Come on, let's say this together. One, two, three. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Lead us away from temptation and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, power, and glory are yours forever and ever. Give God a praise, church, come on.